Ready for the interview And if you get a cue Live on the laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo Let's have a combo Say what you feel Be real, that's the motto Real talk, pronto Doctor D, PhD Hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Okay we're going to explore the doors of perception, which is what you put on your bio. I did. I did, because I think at that point, that's the mindset I was in. Um, and I still have been in that mindset of exploring perception, per se. Um, I don't know where it started, but I guess, like, uh, do you want me to just talk about, like, my... Well, I'm very interested in what the doors of perception mean to you. Like, Okay. Um, I think what doors of perception means to me is in the sense of like exploring life from multiple lenses um, where there is no perception that is right or wrong. Right. Mm. It's, it's something that kind of feels very liberating from the point of view that you see it. And um, I think it all started with my LSD trips. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> psychedelics for me has been like I would say lifesaver um like literally because I was um suffering before from like extreme depression and suicidal tendencies um and like this is two years ago but before that when I took psychedelics LSD was my first trip it it almost felt like I had this like that's the analogy that I like to use it felt like I have I have this prescription lens and I I just keep flipping the lens and like LSD just gives you that tool where you like put this, like I, I wear glasses, right? So like you put this glass on this number and you see life in this point of view. And then you see life in this point of view. And I just started realizing how like in a very day-to-day -day life, our mindset is, our, our perception is set in a very narrow range. And uh, the minute at least I, I went to my higher states of consciousness, like that's what we're exploring, right? suddenly it just expands to the levels and it's not expanding like you know oh I'm seeing more things but it's just where you are it's you have an idea of life in very different manners and I, I think that was one of the reasons why I was able to cure my depression I would say um, I found LSD to be like an extremely forgiving tool at the same time yeah. it would it was something that completely brings you to the present moment and that present moment awareness is where I started understanding like okay what is happening because in this state of mind I am this body and there is this awareness so what is different when I'm on this drug and I know like medically speaking like you know more neurological pathways are forming in your brain and stuff is happening but like what is really happening and I think uh for me, that was so such a profound um, awakening experience that I was like, that brought me back to, you know, the sober sense, we would say, like, <laughs> not psychedelics, like, how do I do that? And that's when I started doing like Vipassana meditation and um, just everything I do, like, you know, just walking my dogs or fostering <laughs> my dogs. It seems like everything bring everything is a tool designed to bring you to that same, you know, awareness level. But how? <laughs> So yeah. to sum it up, like doors of perception for me is kind of uh, like that. I feel like that's a common thing, like you were saying about that. And I felt like my psilocybin trips have been very similar. Okay. It's just like uh, like the curtain comes down mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you're like, oh, there are 
this may not be the only reality. Yeah, like absolutely. there's a different reality and yeah. maybe just the, the reality that I normally live in is limited mm-hmm. and I need this substance in order to allow me to have a portal access to mm-hmm. this other reality that actually may be the real reality <clears throat> for, but you know, <laughs> it sounds weird to say, but you know, you know, you know what the funny thing is the re- I, I love that the real reality. <laughs> so right? that's, similar to the real perception or the right perception like I think it's like really going beyond duality at that point to understand that the real reality per se is like it's so different for different beings yeah. like no one sees like there for example there might be like a one thousand different perceptions of urja of this identity because including my own thing like I have the same identity of like image of myself right the image that I portray the image that I carry and the thing that I'm trying to drop the whole concepts and identity that I (laughs) want to drop to you know maybe become nobody but that's so funny (laughs) and become no one yeah because because, that's funny in itself because that itself becomes a goal and I feel like the Mm. minute that the becoming nobody is you know, when you start seeking or becoming nobody, that itself is like trying to become somebody, right? So it's 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 very tricky and it's very, um, it's an underlining thing where you kind of have to drop everything and it just like naturally occurs. But I, I definitely feel like um, psychedelics does something in a way, it ha- there is a reason it has a way to cure mental health problems, right? And um so growing up, for example, like I, I, I was brought up in a very um, authoritative kind of a upbringing, right? Like I have an Indian background, and not to say that my parents per se were like strict, but it was it was this underlining um, understanding of obedience, right? Like where you don't have the room to kind of speak your thought process. You can like pursue uh, open mindedness, but there is a limit to that. And that was kind of strange. And, you know, there were like ideas imposed and there was there was a sense of like, so I I was also like sexually abused twice. Um, And it's so funny because it happened to be my family members who, you know, were the abusers in that in that sense. And um, I've never really talked about this before, but it's all of this made me into a very fearful person like my depression and my anxiety all came from the fact that of being really fearful like I don't know what I was scared of but like it's constantly living in like approval seeking mode or like some sort of fear was always present right like whether it's like fear of losing and something but psychedelics like I think my first experience was with LSD like majorly yeah and it just it drops it I I it completely drops the fear and it brings you to the, the this point where of stillness at least that happens for me like where it's super forgiving at the same time it's like you have this perception that you have this perception of trauma where you you kind of forgive everyone there is not you it's not it's not something that you can carry in that mental awareness space because you are at your higher highest level and I, I, I love this line and like every time I'm like on psychedelics, I think Pink Floyd saves literally. Saves. <laughs> I love Pink Floyd. <laughs> it just saves it. Like, and, and there's this uh, song Echoes 22 minutes yeah. and I listen to that and it just, uh, there is this line that I got like literally obsessed with. It says like strangers passing in the streets by chance two separate dances me. I am you and what I see is me. It just, 
there was something that that did to me that is very like inexplainable but that idea that if I was able to carry back to my um sober self it was like just knowing of that trauma and knowing acknowledgement of this state of um reality that you were talking about is enough like it's enough to kind of cure like 80 percent of my depression you know yeah I, I I feel like psychedelics does that it provides you with so much level of like awareness that it can bring you to um that you can drop all your concepts then you can drop and you can understand that trauma it's just generational trauma cultural trauma being passed down it's not no one's doing it on purpose yeah. everyone's doing the best that they can right so that's the general thing you know we know it was interesting when talking with your partner ranga about kind of indian culture and this obedience um and this was from like a male perspective, which I thought was interesting. I would love mm-hmm. to hear from a female perspective, mm-hmm. this idea of culture, Indian culture, and, but also just your perspective in general of like, yeah. because I think a lot of people, there's, there's people in psychedelics who are, you know, they're like, whoa, access and, um, <clears throat> and cultural things, but they don't really understand it because they're not hearing it from enough people. That's kind of my thing is I want to have that happen where people who are like me or, you know, black Mm -hmm. and brown people and the the, the other layer that's different than non-white people, that's a different layer of access to psychedelics because of the stigma culturally and the conformity, especially in monocultures or, you know, like India in a sense, um, or very authoritative controlling cultures so okay that was a long-winded way of saying that okay <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're right like i and that, i think that's why your platform was more appealing to me because yeah. um yes i can like talk a lot in the sense of what's how psychedelics are useful but the stigma itself it's so i haven't told my parents for example like that i another I, one you're like the third person yeah now here's like so I, i'll give you a story though first um so last year after my LSD experience like it was so funny before that I was just like a walking depression robot right like and I, I do feel like trauma pours out when you are right like you you just you're suffering so much that you're just pouring that out and for some reason that seemed more sane to my family and that was a little absurd to me so they thought I was happy then like you know with my levels of conformity when I was actually depressed because they couldn't see that right that I was not okay um but after I did LSD and I, for me, it was like a flip. It it wasn't, it was not a smooth, like coming down into like a process. It was kind of a flip because I had gone to the lowest point of my suffering. And I think it was enough for me, like to, I couldn't take it anymore. So it was okay. I do LSD. And um, the next day I had like this big dissonance, like, holy shit. I saw this. Now, what do I do? Because there is this image of this identity that people carry that my mom that my dad that my uncle my uncle was actually like a big part of my life because he was the one who raised me um like I even though I was born in India at I think at the age of 10 I moved to Indonesia um so you know it was very different for me there like not being with my parents at the same time you know being with a set of parents but in a very different sense so a lot of trauma kind of like began over there 
And the so I thought it's important for me to talk to these people that something's happened to me. So I didn't mention that I've done psychedelics, but I did say like, um, you know, I am trying to explore present moment awareness more because before I was more like um, ambitious in terms of career. And honestly, um, LSD kind of took that away from me yeah. <laughs> because that chase that that chase was very much um, a cover up of depression, right? Like you're trying to. F- make yourself happy with things that are not making you happy so me like materialism and kind of ambitiousness with career just dropped just like completely went down (laughs) my parents were like what's happening to you like what's happened to you and something's wrong with you and I'm like no I'm trying I'm more happy now like I'm trying to pursue present moment awareness when I say pursue I mean like I'm trying to just be more present and um they actually ended up disowning me. So I don't speak to my um, uncle and aunt anymore because they said that this is not the age for present moment awareness. Oh. So, and, and then they sent me this like really famous actor in India, Shah Rukh Khan, I, who I kind of like re- realized like, so he says this one thing about um, don't go after philosophy until you have money. And oh. yeah, and then I'm like, as an influencer, you have a high, really high reach for you to say something like that. It doesn't, it, it's like saying that, like, you can only help people when you become rich. And that's, an, <laughs> that's a very absurd idea, right? If you can't absurd. help, you are at the lowest point, you, there's, it doesn't matter. So that, that really stuck to me. I'm like, wait, hold on. Like, what if I die tomorrow? I'm 25 right now, but, um, you don't know if I'm going to live till 60. What I could die as at the age of 30. And that's when I started thinking about death a lot. And I think death became kind of like the central point in my life. And it just didn't make sense because they were really against the idea of me being, you know, in this path, in the spiritual path. And that's when I knew, and that's one of my biggest fear with respect to that authoritativeness, when I stood up for myself for the first time and I kind of just dropped it. Like, I, it's okay. You don't want to talk to me. Like, this door is open. Um, but you have to understand like what present moment awareness is. It's, it's a way of life. Philosophy is a way of life. Philosophy is not something that you do after you have done X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? But this general idea, they really carry because that comes from their cultural trauma, because maybe they were raised in a, where they didn't have security, right? Like they, because I know they were raised when they didn't, they needed to make money and they needed to like get that security thing and not worry about tomorrow's food and but the gen as as we're like going generations are changing like the same problems don't apply to us the same problems that apply to them it doesn't apply now now it's a very mental health based problem like the society is sick i i i just cannot say enough how the acceptable norm is the sickness like when i am in my lsd peak right um and this is when i'm talking like 300 mcg right I'm at a level where I'm like, this is sanity. Like, yeah. this is sanity. Like, this is where our level of awareness needs to be. Like, where we are so still at the point of um, no thoughts, right? There are no thoughts. And even if there are thoughts, they're like passerbys. But thoughts are not controlling you. You are there, right? And But that's not acceptable in, in India. It's not. Thoughts and emotions and being controlled by those is, is a good thing. So I decided to kind of like drop it. So my parents, although were pretty ch- like chill with me going this path, they came around my mom and dad, but I, I didn't tell them about psychedelics because they were still against kind of like the person I've become and becoming. So 
I realized that if I tell them about psychedelics now, it's 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 a beautiful medicine that I respect with the bottom of my heart. And if I kind of like, you know, just bring it to them and they will kind of just associate, oh yeah, my daughter became like this because of this drug. And there's already such negative connotations about this. And we are, the whole psychedelic renaissance is trying to break that stigma, right? I don't want to like just... Uh, tell them and then they will be they will blame the drug because maybe one day I want to I want them to try it right yeah like, so that's my um personal goal so yeah that's one of the reasons I I didn't end up telling them and I told my sisters and they're very open-minded about it yeah. right like and they are actually coming down to Canada and they will participate in like sessions with me so I I think that's that's amazing but um it takes time I think any any such of this cultural big stigma takes time because I've seen over the last two years since my first trip I faced so much resistance from my parents they have eventually come down to see oh like I'm not abandoning everything and going like they had this idea that I'm I've, I'm like renunciating but renunciating as in like I've just walked out of my house and I'm gonna start living in on the streets because that's yeah. I really had a flip and I changed everything right but I keep explaining to them as a renunciation starts here like not in much like I don't need to leave my house I can still eat the same food and I can be more present while eating the food like there's a big difference right um and not attached to it but the idea is different because they think attachment is a good thing like they're very attached to me and they say attachment is the kind of love that should be there and I think I think that's a bit of difference in the western society and the eastern culture where here I see like even in parenting right parents have more of like a detached love where they let their kids go like let their kids do things right but in eastern culture it's not like that the the love comes with a bit of like attachment which automatically just brews suffering because that brings along the threat of attachment brings along expectations and you know you have to kind of like return stuff it's it feels like that feels it starts feeling like a burden almost to me so yeah that's (laughs) There's a lot going on here, Urja. I mean, I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. Really so much, but, but it's yeah. good. You should let it out. I was just talking to, uh, I'm doing an upcoming project with uh, another person of uh, Indian descent, and they were saying like the same thing. And yeah. they're like, we just, I just, we need to get this out. This almost this um, yeah. cultural trauma mm-hmm. and the fear from homogenous societies of like people would want you to behave in a controlled manner that they can control. And that's very predictable for them. And they're like, yeah, you know, so it's like, as soon as you become different, they've Mm -hmm. lost control. And then they try to, how do they figure out how to deal with you? But then again, it's like, it also shines a light on them. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. am I living, is this the right way to be? Like it becomes a big big like existential crisis for people when other people they love change dramatically you know i love that i want people to go into existential crisis i I mean i agree personally i think if i had not gone into that thing of what is the point of living we are all going to die what is the point why are we all running why are we doing this what are we chasing like why are we suffering right um it brings in so much baggage with it. Like, you know, I, I 
I feel like that question is something that is not asked enough by people because when you, for me, one of my biggest suffering actually doesn't come from like cultural traumas as much as it comes from just seeing suffering. So I'm I'm very attached to animals. Um, mm-hmm. When I say attached, like, I guess not the right word that we've been using in the context for, but I love animals and I see animals as basically just another version of me. And, mm. you know, with just, that's when I was talking about doors of perception, right? Like, for example, my dog, Ollie, um, the other day I was on shrooms and I think this was last week and I'm just lying down beside him and I'm just seeing like, you know, I had a lot of fear of death when it comes to Ollie and it was to a point I, my body would like go into a full paralysis. This was like two years ago. If something happens to him, I can't move. And this attachment, I realize harbors a lot of negativity because it comes from a place of, um, I want to, I want you to live longer. I want you to, I don't want to miss your death. Um, so death became a very central topic for me. So every time I kind of do psychedelics, I try to revisit, revisit death because for for a second, whenever I am on my um, psychedelics, like peak or whatever, I'm not afraid of dying. Like it's, it's a place where I'm, I'm okay with death. I'm always okay with death. If death were to come right that moment, I'm okay with it. And to any of my loved ones too, right? So with, and, but Ollie was not the only one. So in India, I worked with a lot of stray dogs. Um, We, I just, we, whenever I go there, I just like feed like one stray dogs and like, you know, medication and all of that. But, and I've seen cases of them suffering in a way like it's it's unimaginable right and I'm talking very much physical suffering at this point which always kind of like made me go into a big depression like why what's the point of existence why because existence kind of baffles me a lot Mm. at the same and I never and like during even during psychedelics that was something that I could never find answers for like why why who is playing this like why would you make some a being you know suffer this much but then in my last MDMA trip, it's so funny. This for the first time, it was this perception that I could see um, that I'm an observer. Who is observing that existence? Who is observing that suffering that is happening? And it kind of started changing the whole game for me because it started, I, I just got a deeper under, there was this deeper knowing, which honestly I can't explain, um, of that this is all okay. It's all perfect as it is. Um, so in a world where you can be anything, be kind. Knowing this, be kind, right? And I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I drifted up so much. I, I just, <laughs> like we start somewhere and then we go, which is why I think it's nice that you can pull me back. But I, I don't know what I, where I started. But it's okay. Yeah, I, I truly think that like for me, that suffering that oh, we were talking about existential crisis, right? That that was a big point in questioning, like why is this all happening? But that itself will bring you back to the present moment, you know. And I, I do think to some extent, like cultures like Indian cultures and other, um, I would say, Eastern cultures that are very much based on conformity and, um, so, you know, the the fact that they're not asking the existential questions is because they're constantly driven by survival instincts. Um, it's more, it's more, it, it makes sense, right? Like third world countries, for example, some of them, like India is, right? Most people are kind of on the verge of surviving like there's a big population that just wants to survive every day you know just food on the table roof on the head and like there is a part of population the middle class which I 
say is suffering the most because um you know they're all because I come from a middle class family so is Ranga and we all face very similar fears the very same expectations the very same stigma the conformity right it's because they're trying to pin their cultural traumas on us and it's different it's it's they're not asking okay hold on stop why am I being driven by my survival instincts I don't need to like bring more, 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 more. I don't need to have security, security, you know, I don't need to marry. Like, I don't need to have kids. Like no one's stopping to ask these questions. Like, wait, why was I doing, wait, okay. Maybe I started for this reason, but why am I still doing it to, like 3000 years later? Like, <laughs> I think that's, that's the problem, right? Like we need to just stop. Everyone needs to just I totally stop. agree with that. I think there's, we are always adopt previous expectations over and over again without questioning the expectation is if this is the expectation that actually is good for me yeah. and so we just follow along like an assembly line yeah. throughout the ages yeah. and this is especially extremely prevalent in authoritarian regimes Very there's much. no questioning and especially if there's a fear of safety mm -hmm. and uh, violence you don't mm -hmm. question the mm -hmm. generational assembly line mm -hmm. or that. But yeah. even if you don't have that, you're still hooked into the psychology yeah. of it. And it's very difficult to break. You need an intervention to say, mm -hmm. hey, time out, time out. What is this existence? Mm -hmm. And is there a different existence or are there multiple existences? And how can I actually pursue the things that I want to pursue? Mm -hmm. And are those actually in alignment with, let's say, my parents believe about, or how can I get them online with what is actually good for me? Because I see that a lot with kind of like homogenous cultures. There's this real obsession with like being rich yeah. or having wealth. Like yeah. I've, I've known a decent amount of Indian families and been around with them. And there's a big obsession with wealth. Yeah. And, but there, there, it may be turning a little bit where like the children can like do what they want to do, but still be rich at the same time. Basically. And, right. And it's like, uh, do what you want, but still be rich type of thing, yeah. you know, and it's it's going to take some time to work through that, you know, it time. Definitely. I mean, <laughs> I like how you say like, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but still be rich. Yeah. Uh, I ask my like she's she says that like so every time I I'm I'm like trying to write a book. Right. So I was sharing with her that like. And then she's like, okay, like, that's cool. Like she got really excited because for very, after, for, after a very long time, cause I dropped my career ambitions and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was mostly looking inward and I was kind of like a very Zen chill person and not like going after anything. So she was like, why, why aren't you like going for your next position in your current job or like why? And then I said, I'm writing a book. She's like, oh, great. Like you're back. I'm like, no, mom, I'm not you're writing back. a book. I'm not writing a book for like a purpose of, you know, you know what I mean? Like yes. not to, it's not the fame. It's not the name. It's not, it's, it's to share this idea that I have hoping to reach a person who may need it because there, for example, like there are people like Osho, Chiddu Krishnamurti, Ramdas, these people were literally for me, like backbones, their books and their writings when I needed it the most. Right. So that's how I see it. But there is this expectation in, um, these cultures for sure where they're like yeah you can do what you want but get security first yeah. and this idea of security really comes from not questioning survival and like existence and why am i driven it's like this robot like you are literally this robot like who is controlling you 
who <laughs> is the observer of I and what like these questions just come to me like so it's like what who is this I and who is talking right now who is doing the thought controlling who is the observer right like when you start asking these questions for me at least whenever I really ponder upon it I go into like this circuit mode like short circuit <laughs> where it's like my thoughts cease to exist and my actions cease to exist and I do feel like you know it's a pure moment of silence where you can be super honest with yourself and I actually asked this question to my uncle that like so if you think I shouldn't be pursuing or like looking and being more present what should I do like why what should I do said like earn money help others like is that what like earn money right it's like he's like yeah because that's the point of life basically the point of life is and then he he went into existence but he the problem is they stop there they stop at a certain point the questions stop the questions need to keep going right like okay what for they said future future generations Mm -hmm. i'm like okay and then what for what keep going keep going like don't stop future 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 generations will have kids and then that'll keep going on right but what for i'm not against it like you can have you can do the set of same things like you can have kids you can have a beautiful like relationship with your kids where you can actually i i i do think i do i really think parenting and having kids is like a complete moment of it, it should bring you back to present moment it's a it's a tool to bring you to present moment but most of the time it's not like that because nowadays I think parents are more absent than like present I'm not a parent so I shouldn't speak but I've learned my parenting skills from my dogs because I've raised a lot of dogs and I do think it's it's a there's there's a lot of similarities like you know patience being number one like it's it's that idea of being so present at that point where you, you there is no reason there's no point that you're doing something for like I'm not doing this for x and y reasons but you're doing it so it's a lot of cultural traumas that needs to break I I do think so yeah I mean I'm definitely a parent to so an 11 year old and uh it snaps you into a crazy reality very quickly you have to be present you have to be to yeah. be I was just telling this to a client of mine and we always talk about parenting I say, you know, really effective, strong parenting is present parenting. Mm-hmm. And you have to have crucial conversations, difficult conversations. You do have to have expectations, but you need to be able to explain them in mm-hmm. a way that is not just like, just do this. It's <laughs> like some of that you have happening, but to have an intelligent conversation, age appropriate, mm-hmm. but you, you can't be, if you're not a present parent, you're just not parenting. You're, yeah. And this is what happens with like electronics and stuff as parents pass off electronics to children to not be present. They're like, I don't want to deal with this. You do this, no yeah. presence. Like, yeah. And more than likely, if you're letting your child do that all the time, you're not a present person, generally speaking. You're yeah. just not trying to be still yeah. and focused on asking questions about your existence, you know? I, I do, th- I agree with you. And I do think that a lot of like the problem with Eastern culture, again, with respect to parenting comes from that lack of presence, right? Yeah. La- not being aware is the primary reason because I do think that your body is going to continue functioning because we are body, at least from what I'm learning from Vipassana is like, we are reactive beings and 
we learned really fast. And just like how I believe trauma lies in the body, body learns how to react and it's going to repeat the same patterns when the time comes. So for example, I'm a parent and I'm not present and if something's happening to my kid, if something something demands attention, if I'm not there, I'm just going to, my body's still going to do, the ego is still going to make me function, right? But it's not going to, I'm not going to be able to like change the course and fit the way I need to respond according to that situation. But I will just respond more like react from what I know. And I think that's yeah. the problem. Like the I, I, Ranga and I were talking this morning, actually, we were talking about parenting and we we're talking about how like um, parenting is kind of like a template, right? It's it's like a template where you don't fill the content for your kid, you're, you, but the template is there as a guide. You know, it's like a cushion where yeah. you, you, which you just keep like changing and you're responding as the situations come. So um I, I think it it goes, I probably am like going way far off because I don't know. <laughs> it's okay. I, I really do feel like that. But when I like, just the dogs, right? Like I, I do think dogs bring you back to the present moment very yes. quick. Yes. I mean, for example, my dog just had a major surgery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just seeing, watching her be still and be by herself, be in reality, be in touch with her pain, but not react. Um, and I, I do think that's incredible. And it's great for humans to learn that because we, we're constant. I had a surgery and I was reacting like, yeah. oh, this hurts. Oh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, it's a way to respond they, when you are truly with it. And I think that's what Vipassana meditation teaches, which is kind of my integration with psychedelics is trying to be there with every sensation without yeah. reaction because when you stop reacting and when you are just there, very like basically you're literally there without evaluation, without conclusion, without any sort of good and bad conclusion. Yes. You start to see like the truth just comes and you start to be like, and that I, I don't think it's very hard. We can't just like, you know, be like, yeah, be present. I think it it's hard to just tell people to be present. I think what's important is like, we need to have a practice, right? Like there needs to be a practice because you otherwise your ego will take over your reactive functions yeah. just take over on you. So I, I do think that the whole spiritual realm that I'm exploring is kind of just, you know, watching without evaluation yeah. and doing that for everything. And I, I feel like dogs do that. Like I'll just watch Ollie and my other dogs, like look outside the window and they'll just like, look at the same things. <laughs> like, you know, they'll just keep looking, looking, looking at, I'm looking at them and I'm like, it's, it's, it's amazing because they, they, there's no such thing as boredom for them because there's no such perception of time. Right. And time is very much kind of comes to senses with like, it's very relative, right? Like it starts coming with past and future and, you know, having that idea of memory and having that idea of not being present. So they're just there in that stillness. And every time you're just there, it's just kind of extraordinary, right? Same thing seems like that. And I I definitely feel like these are the things I take away from psychedelics too. Like I can just look at something and just be like, wow, this was there all along. And it's, it's just so yeah. marvelous. Like, yeah. It's so interesting, people's different stories around psychedelics. And, you know, I do a lot of these interviews with people in the space or who have who have done it. And uh, what's interesting, I feel like there's like people talk around their experience 
Like I've noticed this. Maybe this doesn't make sense. I'll try to explain. Like, like they never dive deep into it. They talk around their experience. So it's like, oh, this did this for me. I feel this way. I'm like, yeah, but what actually happened? Like, you know, like, like the story, the actual story. Like one of the things like I always tell my I've told my psychedelic stories, my trips all the way from the beginning to the end, like documented it and release uh -huh. it because I'm like, we kind of talk around it a lot. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, it made me feel this way. And I'm doing this. We're like, yeah, but like, what did you see? Like, mm -hmm. what, what did you feel? Like, what was scary? You know, mm -hmm. what was terrifying? What mm -hmm. was euphoric? What made you, why did you start sobbing, crying? Like, and I feel like I'm trying to get to that point with yeah. a lot of people is, but mm -hmm. I feel like people, they don't, they don't dive too, too far into the actual mechanism inside the, the, the deal, you know? You know, state specific memory is a thing. I truly believe in that. So basically I've, I've actually tried to do that. Like I've tried to document what exactly happened during my psychedelic experiences, but a lot of, I'm quite amazed how my peak of LSD just wipes out of my brain. Like, <laughs> really? I mean, I'm pretty sure, like, at least for myself, like I can't, go back in this so that's I think that's what I was reading about state specific memory is that like that higher like, which is the same reason why we can't stay like if I've taken psychedelics right now and like set of things have happened for me I do think there that's why we have integration right because older yeah. things are going to catch up again the reason the older things are going to catch up again is because that peak that state specific memory won't stay for that long and yeah. I do think that psychedelics certain things are very um there's so many things happening like there's so much like information that we're sensing at that second yeah i don't think we're able to carry all of that fully along and i also feel like not all experiences can be directly translated into expressions you know yeah. what i mean it's it's kind of a little challenging but in my last shrooms uh trip i was trying to experiment because my book is I'm trying to focus more on like challenging trips because bad trips in psychedelics right. was kind of primary um, under like motive to like understand because one of the things that stopped me from taking psychedelics early on was this idea of bad trips you know, and it was just so stupid kind of because it was just an idea right and it's never something that I've sensed but how what if that happens like will I go into psychosis like will I not come back like will I not um, there are these like fears, you know, that I used to have. Yeah. And I've been in bad trips. I've been in a lot of bad trips. Yeah. But I still think so. I I'm gonna like try to use a word challenging or something else because I don't want to have this notion of bad. Trips. Yeah. Like what's a bad trip? Like I. What's a bad like, trip? What does that mean? Like because a bad trip were the best trips for me. Mm. It's, it's really when I say the best trips, in the sense of the most. Um, things that I learned from it when the most um, healing happens, right? Every time I've been into a challenging trip, you know, it's, it's sometimes, sometimes it's been as dark as like, um, it was this feeling of, how, how do I say, there was this darkness, right? Like some, some darkness started like forming. I'm going into magical detail, right? I've had so many trips, so different, different things, different times, um, where there was a sense of like, 
ego trying to like catch up and like show my dark sides, my shadow self, right? And it became very overwhelming at that point. But then I do remember what I did because I remembered um, this this statement from Jiddu Krishnamurti. He says that in order to get out of a prison, don't just try to like, don't fight it. Don't fight the locks and don't try to get out. Like the best way is to step back and understand and evaluate the structure of the prison. Like, you know, understand what's going on. So when that came to me, I think there was this underlining um, message that stay still and see what's happening. Don't react. It kind of goes back. Everything comes back to the part of like, don't react, right? Like be there, be with your trip. Do not try to get out of it because in my understanding, more you try to get out of like a challenging trip, like if that's your intention, it's going to catch up with you much harder. Like it's going to keep coming, right? So, and the minute I was, it it's, it happens in a split second because the minute I was actually there with it, um, suddenly it just stopped. It just ceased to yeah. exist the whole, whole thing because it's almost as if like all it needed from me was an acknowledgement of my you know, my dark shadow self. And mm-hmm. I, I actually really like want to like, I, I talk about this to Ranga about the dark, our, our shadow self and our dark self, the yin and yang, right? One cannot exist without the other. And the idea is not to get rid of it, but the idea is to be aware of yourself fully, like be aware of your dark shadow. So you don't like, you don't let it control you or you don't let it, let the actions, you know, be the one to like drive you, yeah. right? So, that a lot of my bad trips was like centered around that. And one of them was centered around like time, time per se, where it was this very naive understanding of being stuck. And I, I think the being stuck is again, like a trauma that comes from childhood where you feel like you're not able to um, basically get out of something because I think children don't have defense mechanisms early on, right? Like, especially when they're super dependent on like their immediate guardians they do not have a way to get out of a conflict. For example, like if their parents are fighting constantly, they do not know what to do because they cannot, they don't, and then they start repressing it or they start having these defense mechanisms of feeling stuck because they can't like, you know, escape physically or it's, it's, there's a lot of like psychological things going on. So I had this one bad trip around like, okay, I'm like stuck in this space and time. And then uh, I wanted to get out of it. And the more I was trying to get out of it, it just felt like I was getting sucked in. Like it was like, it was like a tunnel. It was almost like yeah. as if, it, it, yeah, something, you know, going inside of each each thing every time. But it came, it became to a point when I actually realized, so what? Fall. Just keep falling where you are. Just keep falling. And then there was this thing where I just, had this thing okay if I just keep falling there is no ground to land on and I'll yeah. just keep falling and all of us didn't intend to evaporate like it just went away and my I think lesson from bad trips is that every time it comes it's this personal message that let go you are trying to hold on to something that you have to let go like detach or it's or it's or it's a general idea in speaking other terms like die like be ready to die any point it's it's sensations, you know, we're playing to our bad, our fears are not substantial fears, our fears, for example, someone has a fear of spider or someone is yeah. fearful of um, fire or something, it it all comes down to like your senses, your sensations that you're, ha- that's happening, that your uncomfortable sensations with respect to that situation, 
and then you are reacting to those sensations. So kind of comes down to fear of death yeah. for me. I that's what my translation to bad trips was like, um, you know, being ready to die before I die. It's uh, right. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm just interested in a lot of this because I think like when people talk about, oh, we should talk about bad trips. We should talk about not just all this great stuff, this amazing spiritual aspect. We should talk about bad trips. I just, I just like to ask questions. That's all. I'm, I'm not going to deny that someone had a bad trip. I'm just like, well, what does that mean? Like, that? And explaining, like, I want people to explain themselves. And I also want like detail. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes this is what I see in the psychedelic community is a lack of detail in the experience. I see a lot of high level 30,000 foot. This helped me with this. This it's like, I think it's there's a mystery in there and there's sometimes um, a fear of telling the full story because mm -hmm. of repercussion of what like if you tell somebody like and and my first big trip, I mean, my guy turned into uh, like a green monster, like <laughs> honestly, and I was like, this is really weird, you know, and there was like a reindeer hovering around this campsite area that I was in and wouldn't let me out. Like, if I say that, I don't feel weird saying that. Like, I don't feel yeah. like, but I think like most people I talk to will not tell me that level of detail. I'm like, but what happened? Like, <laughs> like you know, I, like, I think it's very important to, it's, it, it's like a thing you have to joke about. Like the worst things in your life, fine. you, I think the point you can joke about it when you can talk about it freely is when you actually, you're, you're good with it. Like you yeah. make people, you're, you're done with it. Like it doesn't care, keep you know, catching up with you. I, I really feel like that. Yeah. I just like details and stuff. Yeah. And like, no matter how crazy it sounds, I yeah. just think the detail is really important. And listen, people are going to think whatever they're going to think anyways. You might as well just give them the reality of what the situation was for you. You know, you if know, it's bad, why was it bad? Like, tell me why was it bad? What did you see or feel that made it bad? Yeah. And let's talk about that. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's important, you know, and how you look at conflict. I think for me, like, I always, I have a very different idea about conflict. I always embrace conflict, mm -hmm. always. Mm -hmm. And I go, this is a propulsion mechanism mm -hmm. for either confirming either that I'm good about this, I'm going to change, I'm going to do this, or mm, uh, I'm good where I'm at for it. It, it confirms something to me for yeah. that. It's a confirmation mechanism versus seeing it as just like oh i just want to avoid this this is bad so i just accept what comes my way so whatever happens during my trips i just accept it like straight up i'm like well this is what it is you know it's like there's no paranoia i just accept it you know so every moment that you're that's the part right in bad trips or like whatever is coming you gotta be with it and you you cannot hang on to something good you cannot like hang on to something bad you're flowing with it and I, yeah. I, I think it works for me. Like you're constantly letting go of whatever you're trying to hold on to. Just, just, just you're in a flow state. That's the flow state of mind. Mm -hmm. that, um, I, I am with you. And I, I think with respect to conflict, conflict is very important. Learning to be in conflicts and dealing with conflicts. I say this personally because growing up, um, I wasn't, um, at least for me, the parenting side right it wasn't there there was always avoidance of conflict there was always this thing that like don't yeah. get into conflicts. or if it was getting conflicts with parents it was more like shut up and go you know be obedient don't you dare speak in front of me it was a lot of that it, it was centered around that right and I noticed like it came back to me during my with my relationship 
with my um, exes or with my relationship with my friends, right? Like anytime there's a conflict, it felt like, should I just, it was more of a people pleasing mechanism or it was more of a approval thing. Cause I do think it's a conformity of like, okay, I stand here and you need to be able to do that. I, it's very important for sure. It's something that you learn in childhood for sure as well. Yeah. I just think, you know, having, it's just like false representation of like, you just should be happy all the time. Like that's not true. I'm like, there's times to be really sad and there's times to be confused and there's times to like sort that out and think about it and really reflect on it and then have challenging conversations, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think it's, that's one of the beautiful things about psychedelics is like going inward, challenging reality, confronting your reality. I think a lot of people avoid their reality. And listen, there are really a lot of really challenging, horrible realities that people are living in. The suffering is unbelievable. And I would never be insensitive to that. But I think, you know, if you're in an environment where you're just trying to survive, it's very difficult to have a larger idea about things uh, that are more existential. But you're just trying to survive. Totally get that. But it is important to confront your existence. And I think on a regular basis, on a decade, decade by decade, you're 25, I'm 44. Like how I see myself has drastically changed since I was 25. Like, like if I looked at my, like, imagine if you look at this video when you're my age, it may feel very foreign to you. Like, right. right? You're just, you're just the, the evolution of a human is incredible. And then you add psychedelics onto that. I was tell I was telling Ranga this. And you guys must have very interesting conversations, by the way. <laughs> that dude is hilarious. Podcast and yeah. we, we just forget to switch on the mic because we just talk like 10 hours and we're like, oh, that guy is God. unbelievable. Like his whole, like when he looks at you through the camera and it's, you know, it's the whole thing, the hair, the look, the sound, there's a different feeling about a guy like that. And most people who do psychedelics or have had profound experiences exist very differently in the world to me. Than most other people it's beautiful actually i agree yeah you know so this must be some marathon talks happening in this house 100 <laughs> like- and like i mean there are days we just go into stillness where we know that where we both know where the practice lies like we both meet at that level of awareness where we know okay we're still playing a certain level of games um you know when yeah. we're sitting that is and i i truly feel like um Talking is one essential way. It's a reminder, you know, um, even this podcast, it's like, it's all a reminder, right? It's a reminder. the same things. Um, but where am I? What am I doing? And where am I going? Right? Like, with respect to that, we know, and I know that, okay, we need to sit, we just need to meditate. And I think we try to incorporate that nowadays in our day to day life. And I think it's amazing to be with a partner as well, who like shares the same views, because I know the challenges of being in a relationship where we did not have that a long time ago where we were in different levels. Like one was, you know, it's one is pursuing psychedelics and one is not. And it's caught up in the small things. We don't have those. We haven't fought like in two years where we (laughs) don't have any petty little problems. You know, there's just, this is like unsaid things kind of just there. It's just, you see, I see kind of a thing. And it's um this is I'm, interesting this this should be explored so as two people who are um psychedelic who are into psychedelics uh practicing it 
how does your daily life with having this this level of cognizance about your existence, what's that like? I think the idea is to let the other person be. I think you just understand to a very big level of what letting someone free is. Um, you know, you're not, it's a sense of like, something that can only come when you are also free of your own stuff. Um, and and that, is, that doesn't mean you can't have like day-to-day -day issues, right? You can have something and then you can come off and bounce ideas off the other person. But I think there is a level of understanding of not holding on to anything, not forcing the other person to do something or, you know, you're just really letting the person be free. Like we don't have any like kind of... Um, impositions on each other of any sorts like I mean like for example Valentine's came right I realized the next day oh hey Ranga that was Valentine's yeah yeah <laughs> the other day, like we don't have any of this like expectations I mean to a point we're also not going to give our parents a marriage I mean they're dying for it <laughs> <laughs> they are not okay with us living in a living relationship yeah, but, yeah. but here I'm also kind of being more um See, I I can I I'm not like against like you want to have a fun wedding you can have a fun wedding but I'm not gonna do this I'm I am not gonna participate in it and I'm so happy that Ranga is like that because he's <laughs> not gonna participate in it as well. It's the idea where you want conformity from society or you want approval of the society or the relatives that I don't talk to about or you know we don't have like I'm not giving you that. Um, I don't think. I think one of the things that really worked for Ranga and I is because we've not given given each other, there is no such thing as promise. There is no such thing as present. Uh, sorry, future. There's future. only like, yeah. there's only this thing that like, I choose you every second and I'm doing that, right? I'm not, it's, it's not like, okay, I'm going to be there for you the rest of your life. There is, because I do not think that you were saying, right? When I'm like 44 and I'm watching this video, it's going to be so different. So I don't know what I'm going to do, be at that mindset. So I cannot give you a promise forever, mm. which I cannot write your contract. I cannot give you any, anything, but I can be there here and now for you. And I think we try to do that with each other and more and more we explore psychedelics with each other. I mean, we've done a lot of trips together. <laughs> I have been able to resolve on most of my like traumas when it comes to sexual traumas or you know, so many things we've we've kind of like been able to see and understand. It's a uh, it's kind of like merging of two people at the same time, understanding the individuality there, right? Letting be free. So, yeah, it's things have worked. I I kind of it's very hard for me to define how because I don't like stop to kind of see, I guess. But yeah, yeah it's it. You're it was so funny. We're like we're not giving that to them, okay. and I know in that culture that's like a huge deal. You know, because it's just like multi-day wedding and all this. And there's so much of a pomp and circumstance with it, you know. It's a lot of us to do. In, in fact, I've got my mom to come to a point where, like, I keep, like, questioning her. So tell me, why do you want us to marry, right? Like, I'm just trying to pick her brain and get her to think what's her goal. Like, two people already love each other and choose each other. What else do you want? Like, so she's come down to a point, okay, fine. You don't have to have a magnanimous wedding. You can just go to a temple or, like, a... Let's go to a court. I'm like, okay, good that you've come down. You've dropped all of that. You've come <laughs> to court. Let's talk about court marriage now. Why do you think I need a guy sitting in there? Write me a license paper, like a paper. Why do I need that? Why do I need the state's approval? Like, 
understand this. Do you think a piece of paper is what defines it? Like, what what is it that you want? Who, what are you looking for? So they've come around a lot, I would say, in the matter of two years. But no, wedding is not happening. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw you a party. We'll, we'll have psychedelics. What do you think? Oh, man, that, that's a great party. I want to come. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Microdosing together, let's or maybe some cannabis. Everybody's that like sounds like a great party, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that's amazing. Do you are you like completely against the idea of marriage, or you're just kind of like this doesn't feel like your thing, just for you? Like, here's the thing: I I do feel like I'm not against it. I'm not against anything because that moves me away from my center. It's I don't want to, I don't really have resistance towards anything. It's what doesn't fit for me because mm. it's like this, right? Like, um, how do I explain this? So a person, maybe a person who's doing, for example, the Shoguns, right? Um, I remember they, ha- I watched this documentary and they had like a wedding, um, you know, a random wedding with their friends doing psychedelics and talking about psychedelics out of nowhere because, and that's okay. The reason in my context, it's not okay to have that is because there is a set of expectations. There is a set of like, um, I, if I if I do that, it kind of reinforce, I'm not breaking the barriers for others. I'm not breaking the barriers for a lot of my friends my age. I mean, are don't want to marry, but they are getting married. And mm. I mean, I've even spoken to them, like, why are you doing this? Why can't you stand? Like, I understand why can't they because of the fear and the fear of authority. But, you know, that's the problem. I'm trying to break that. I'm trying to break that barrier for my sisters. Like, my sisters can have a wedding, and I know one one already will, right? And that's totally fine. It's it's just that if the other one doesn't want to, maybe I'm setting laying a kind of like a groundwork or like this losing this expectation that she doesn't have to go through with it. So it's not necessary. You want to do it out of fun, you do it out of fun. But don't do it out of like, it needs to be done kind of a thing. I, I really feel like nothing should be done for the sake of doing. And the minute we stop that, like, so simple things, right? Like if I'm cleaning the house, and there is a slight resistance, and I don't want to, I stop. There is no point in doing anything if you're not present. And I, I really feel like that. And I think that's, that's why I don't want to marry here but yeah yeah you're like trying to change the um the cultural tide like they may have never actually questioned why this is important to do like it's just something people do instead of you're forcing them to have the conversation the conflict about their ideas and that is i think that's like one of the better things you can do is just like okay why do you feel this way just tell me like like and i always say like if you can't explain why you're into this, why should I be? In? I'm like, you You don't even know why you're into it. Like, no idea. why would you be into something you have no clue why you're into it? <laughs> like, you know, my parents always come down to this part where like, how will we face a society if you don't marry? And that's where I want to start them talking because yeah. most of the cultural problems in India is coming from this idea of living in a collectivistic society, but there's nothing collectivistic about it. Because a collectivistic society is something I would see as a commune, right? A commune where everyone takes care of everything. It's it's actually a very open-minded thing, but now collectivism has become more of a approval seeking or more like an impressing thing. And imagine if like everyone is doing that, but no one wants to do it. Who stops 
Like, I know no one wants to do it. I personally, my age friends, no one wants to marry. Like, no one wants wants this, you know? It's not that they don't want to marry. It's again, it's maybe they want to marry 10 years later. Maybe they want to do something else. Maybe they want to marry, have a small wedding. It's not, it's not they want to do it and it's why they want to do it and when they want to do it. And I think that that needs to be broken down and like. So when my parents finally get to that question and when they are able to say that, and I, I think it takes a lot of courage to say that, what will the society think of me? I think that's where I can start the point of conversation. Yes. Okay, why? let's talk about why it's so important for you to see what society thinks of you rather than say your kid's happiness or like your own happiness. You really need that. And I think these conversations, once we start talking about it, it, it kind of in a way, drives them to the question of existentialism and what am I so scared of? Like, I really want, so my dad had last stage mouth cancer and I, I, part of my childhood was kind of just taking care of him and it was, was pretty aggressive, right? Like, and yet he is so scared of death. He's been, he's knocked at the door of death and he's scared. And I, I can totally, I can't even imagine what he's been through, right? But that's where I really want to drive the conversations towards death. And I, I feel like, you know, traditional therapy didn't work for me, Darian. Like I did therapy um, for seven years. So from age 18 to 24, and it didn't work for me at all. Like it, it was, in fact, it drove me to the point of suicide. Like it really wanting to like just end it, right? Until I realized, wait, I want to end this version of myself. I don't want to end the self, mm. right? And I think looking at suicide from that point of view, it it made me realize because I've seen my dad be in like depression because of his cancer and it kind of makes you question more and more. And I started, and then existential therapy was very helpful. Like when I started talking about death and understanding how most of my fears and most of the things were centered to the topic of my own fear of death, my own projections of death and me grieving my own death. I think it started like really being a game changer for me. And I, I don't know if you know, but death is like a biggest stigma in um, Eastern cultures. Like in my family, if you mention death, it's like you're bringing that upon someone. So you oh, cannot, like, you cannot help. There is no. So one of my psychedelic trips was me exploring death um, as a child, as a childhood um, experience. So I, it was like in my shrooms, ACO DMT trip. And I had, I started going down this tunnel of like past and I'm like in my tunnel and there is this suddenly there are like snakes everywhere and I'm like waiting at the tunnel and I don't know what to do because I'm really afraid and I'm like I realized that snakes are not there to harm me but they're actually my friends and the minute I kind of like become accept say that or like acknowledge that all the snakes kind of like you know go in a fashion and yeah. the tunnel opens for me to invite me inside and I'm, I'm, I'm coming inside and I'm going and I'm going and I encountered this whole experience when I was like five years old and I experienced I saw this lady dying in a very horrifying manner and it brought me to the point that I had completely repressed I had forgotten about this as if it never existed right like because I didn't have a healthy um place to grief that or like there was no there was no mechanism to understand what dying is right it wasn't there so the psilocybin trip kind of like took me there and showed me this perspective of what happens and you know what the transition is with the death and the life and I think that was very crucial so 
yeah, I I was talking about my parents, but I think it's driving them from this society approval idea to like getting to their own death, like facing that. Like, why yeah. is it so much that they're looking for that? You know, which stops them from living. Like, it's it's just stop. Correct. It stops being happy you know yeah that's exactly right and when you're so focused on this external validation from others particularly mm-hmm. in these cultures it's like the brow beating that you get from friends other family members oh urge is not she is not married yet oh it's like an indictment on them as parents that why she isn't this way or ranga hasn't done this yet <laughs> what did you do to him you know it's like that's it's just all this almost peer pressure It's just mm-hmm. generational peer pressure and breaking it down and be like, okay, let's actually discuss this. Like, what is this almost, it's real that you're feeling this, but is it also like necessary to ingest this and make it your belief that all these people's opinions about your children's lack of being married is important. Like, and that is like, I think is the beautiful part is just breaking down these societal norms, but mm-hmm. also being okay if someone wants to participate in that. Yes. yes. And not, we're not saying you shouldn't do that, but like, listen, there are many options in life. This should not be the only option. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like just like spirituality or um, the path, right? Like, there are a million ways to get there, right? Psychedelics is one, meditation is one. There are so many ways to get to present moment awareness, but. Yes. It's not like you can do it, but nothing can be imposed on you. I do not think so. Like you cannot ask anyone and then expect them to just do it. More like when you force it, half the time, the opposite results happen. That's like, right. People run away from the very thing that you really want them to do. Um, so I, I, I really hope. Like um, I, I've seen like my parents actually come around a lot to the point to discuss death because every time I start bringing this topic very subtly with them to like talk about it because most of the time fear stops you from even like talking about it and and I do think when you start talking about it and then you start seeing oh wait why was I so scared you just you dive more and more inward right and I've, 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 I've seen them like do that. And then they've also realized, oh, wait, yeah, these things aren't that important. Yeah. Even with marriage, they've realized, oh yeah, like to some extent, it's just functional. Like if you need to get like a house and you need like your partner's name on that paper, you need to show validation. Sure. You can get that right. It's functional. You can do it. But if, if that's already served, if you don't even need that for that functional purpose, what's what, why am I imposing this? Like they, they, they are starting to question a lot of these regimes, you know, and, and the second thing will be the fact that I don't want to have a kid. (laughs) And, and then you're I, definitely going against the grain in that culture. Huge. I've already done that with my, I think I've already laid that. And they've been pretty okay with that because for me, it was very simple. Like, I think after I got dogs in my life, it's just realized like where it doesn't matter. Like, honestly, what you're parenting, who you're parenting, like there are kids in this world who need parents and there are kids we bring. And then there is like, there's so many levels, right? You can literally choose to do whatever you want. I don't think anything is wrong. Anything is like the the right way to do it. So it's it's nice to explore some of the things that's not the normal in our culture. And yeah, that's right. I definitely face a lot of resistance. And I'm telling you very honestly, 80%, no, apart from, so I, I, I grew up in a very joint family, like a very big family. And now- there were like 20 people in there and I only talked to my mom and dad. Yeah. So everybody else kind of just fell off. And 
I'm okay with that. Like I'm drawing that line. And I think a lot of people need to do that as well. You know, start because I don't think there it is anybody else's business to be very honest. Yeah. And, yeah. We're just, cha- I think we're in a great time of life actually, because we're challenging the status quo mm-hmm. of what things have always done. Like I am a parent. I am a, um, I, you know, my daughter is our only child, mm-hmm. my wife and I, and you know, when you, that has been a big stigma initially when we first, uh, we adopted our daughter and they're like, well, they need a brother and stuff. I'm like, why? I'm like, I'm like, well, so there's someone to play with. I'm like, this doesn't seem like a great reason to mm-hmm. like have, I'm like, I'm the one taking care of this. <laughs> like this, I just don't want to. <laughs> I'm like, why is there such, why are people so triggered by only children? I remember thinking this, like, what is this trigger about only children that people are so worked up about? I, yeah, I think I know what that is. I think it's when you're not present with your child fully, you have, but you, there is this guilt that, the kid is not the kid is alone right yeah you kind of bypass that guilt by bringing more kids in it and <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's like a weird reason to like you know yeah you, know, you know i truly feel like life should be in such a way that you should be able to do what you want without having to justify like there should be no justification needed for what you don't want to do like i don't want to marry period like done you know yeah. I, I don't want to have kids period it's 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 when you start like I I really feel like suffering lies in the time resistance starts. You we start being resistance towards anything, and we'll, we're gonna start suffering. Like it's what Buddha said, right? And his four noble truths, and kind of like started to understand that to some degree at least. But yeah, yeah, seriously, if someone has like a huge resistance to something like having an only child or you not want to get married, that doesn't say anything about you. It says everything about them like in their their hang-ups everything you know you know in the exploring doors of perception that was something that I had this like sudden realization it was it was kind of so strong it was like yeah wait no one really knows me and no one really knows you like everybody just carries an image of me that they would like to fit in and (laughs) anything and everything that people say are their own projections of the way they see life and that's their perception like I may go to like someone to get some advice from right about something but I have to understand that that is not the absolute truth because whatever is coming out of this person's mouth is a perception and every every advice is from his own experiences from his own upbringing from his own you know projection there is which doesn't mean it's wrong it's just it's it's a perception you know it should be it should be taken with a grain of salt it's not it cannot it's it's not absolute and when i talk about doors of perception i i, I think it's a point a way of seeing that nothing is absolute like there is an observer to every every observed thing that's happening and whenever that is happening you know it's it's just relative every there something cannot exist by itself without it, there will have to be a narration and if there is a narration to that experience, I feel like it's so relative. Like it's not, it's not there. And, and I think that's when I like like to think in terms of perception that when you stop, drop the narration, when you stop the narration of your experiences or the stories you tell yourself, and you're just there, you're just with the experience. I think that's yeah. where you start being like one with it, you know? Yeah. And I think also like, 
I'm going to speak for you a little bit here. <clears throat> I don't because I think for the listener, they may hear this and go, these guys, it's just like there's no right and wrong to these guys. You know, there's just like everything. I was like, no, I think it, for me, I look at it as and I think it's pretty true for a lot of people is that, yes, there are unjust things. There are wrong things that happen in the world. It's like this is not OK. These things shouldn't be happening. I, I think where I always come from is it's like these things that are really not that important that people have built to be statues of society is like the, whether or not you want to get married should not be the hill you die on for yeah. that. Exactly. Why don't you die on another hill that actually affects humanity in such a horrible way? Something that, you know, the war is happening in Syria and things of that nature. Like, like, why aren't you like worked up about that? But don't be yeah. worked out if two people don't want to be married to each other and <laughs> stuff yeah. like that, you know. 100%. I, I feel you because my last trip to India, um, I was in India and, you know, no one was really happy with the late way of life. But I honestly, and, and then I would just like step out of, of my door and then I see this dog with like maggots eating him alive. And I'm not right. kidding. Maggots eating him alive. And at that point, I am completely like, Honestly, I would describe that point, that states of my mind as a very similar to a psychedelic state because there's no thoughts, there's stillness, there's awareness, and there's this like complete baffling, you know, just baffled by existence, but not in a way of disrespect, not in a way of accuse, accusation, no, accusation. It's more in a way of like, I don't know what's going on here. It's almost very humbling to me where I, okay, there's this is not right. There was this knowing that, no, this is not okay. Like how can, how is nobody seeing that the right. maggots eating this dog alive? How, how is no one seeing this? Is this dog really suffering? Is this an illusion? Like all these questions are going on. And then I go back inside and like, you know, they're bickering about marriage and whatnot crap. And I think those are the moments when I realize like, I don't need to participate in this. Yeah. There are, if you even want to participate, there are things going on at a magnanimous level that is much, right. much beyond the petty little things that <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Like it sounds mean, right? Like for someone's petty little things, it could be for them, the end of the world, right? Like it could be so much for them. And, and, and I know that's what a depressed person may feel. Right. So I have complete, like I'm sensitive to that person. You know, I, I have, empathy towards that person but where i choose to put my energy in maybe a little different right like yeah and i i sat with the dog i sat with the dog for eight hours i just sat there and i cried and i cried him i cried yeah. with him for like all the world and like the fact that he's in because i couldn't help him and like he wouldn't let me touch him and he was yeah. just covered in like maggots and i just started removing it one by one and it was it was awful you know it was it just makes you like there are things going on that we <laughs> not um that's what i'm saying like there's like there's this weird dichotomy that, okay there's a dog out there getting eaten alive by maggots this is a terrible thing right but then on the other side uh conflict which is fine to have the conflict we can talk about it embrace this conflict about whether you should be married or not it's like okay listen i don't want to trivialize this but like the thing outside feels way deeper than this other thing and i've done that yeah no you know, it's like, let's talk about this. Why is this such a thing that gets you so worked up? But on this side, there's a real animal rights violation happening here. There are human rights violations happening all over the world. I don't see this sense of like care. 
to versus like someone gets married or not, who someone loves, their sexual orientation, like care about that so much. Like, like, you know. It comes from those plane of sleeping, right? Like I I really feel like someone has to be sleeping fully to not be able to see suffering. Like mm. to a very big extent, I think that mental suffering, yes, as much as it's like valid and I'm I I talk about mental health awareness right and how psychedelics help me there is a point you have to drop that and and I think one it's like it goes both ways right like once you see the suffering outside and I'm talking physical level like like things going on right you can either see that and then kind of get an idea of like okay where I'm at mentally right like is that that important or you can just but I I do feel like in order to see that you have to be to some degree open and understand you and I are one that that doesn't come I know it doesn't just come because the ego kind of stops ego separates you right like ego separates this identity with this object and this observer there's like the space I feel like you know ego creates that space although that's not bad because I I do also think that ego is very important for a healthy functioning of like survival right but there is to very large degree it causes that separation which you don't need to get rid of you just need to be sure. aware of like you be aware of it I mean half of my mental problems went away the minute I was aware of it like you just have to acknowledge it and be aware and then you drop it like you don't yeah. even have to do a lot of work you just drop it right there and then like a lot of my healing has actually happened in a space of um seconds like even though it wasn't like psychedelics right like just dropping it right there um but you have to be to some degree like awake to see around you, like see yeah. what's happening. Yeah. You know, what's interesting as I as we wrap this up, I something I took away very big from this conversation. And I think we're talking about it's like it's not like I wanted to die, but I wanted that version of that person to die. <clears throat> I don't think I've ever heard it put that way before. It's like I want to live, but I don't want to live as this version. So I need to take these steps to have an intervention to become, to live the life that I, I feel I want to live. And I feel like a lot of people feel that way. They want to be alive. They just don't want to be in this state that yeah. is just constant suffering and constant um, um, resistance, societal resistance to ideas and things. So the, the psychedelics is such a great way to help you kind of navigate the existential reality and navigates like this is the boat that's helping to navigate you. And then over time, you have to integrate it and learn the lessons and apply them. But who I mean, who wants to like not be alive? Like it, like they want to live. It's just if the circumstances are such that, you know, it's just constantly like getting hit with a hammer. That's unpleasant. You know, I mean, so it I just found that very interesting. The way you put that. Ramda says this, right? Die before you die to see there is no death. I do not think that means a physical body of dying. Right. right. It, it's it's complete understanding of what is dying. Because like I said, I my attachment that came with Ollie, because he's my kid, he's my first kid, right? Like yeah. it came with this whole thing where like, what is dying? Because more I think about his death, what is dying? And that just made me realize like it's the identity that we create or it's the version of ourselves that we don't like or whatever it is yeah. that all die and then because once you're complete awareness i don't think there is a death 
I do Interesting. Not. Yeah. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on. I mean, I could go on forever for this. You're such a lovely person, Urja. And Thank I'm you definitely, for yes. I mean, you and Ranga, you're very special people, wonderful people. And uh, just thank you for giving me the time. And I know a lot of people are going to listen to this and be like, wow, there's just a lot happening here. This is like very good to like flesh this out, you know? Yeah, I know. Yeah. And uh, I really appreciate you doing this because it's amazing to create a platform, especially for like, you know, healing stories to come out yeah. and like, it doesn't have to reach everyone, but like even one right. person mindset who could use that. And I, I think it's amazing. It's so, yeah, thank you for hosting and thank you for like doing this. It's yes. really lovely talking to you. Same here. I, I feel the same way. Um, it's awesome to talk to you and just thank you for giving me some of your time. Uh, mm -hmm. on a Saturday here. I, you know, time is something that <clears throat> I consider the greatest currency. And mm -hmm. if someone gives you their time, it's a very valuable thing that they're giving to you. It's a gift. So thank you for the gift of your time today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. Urja, we're going to check this out when it comes out. Um, and I think you all going to really love it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right.